we uh, we saw fifteen hundred people give their lives to Jesus on that tour, six week tour, which you know is huge, and that feeling of being able to walk off stage and going, well, maybe the concert was okay, but wasn't that awesome? Forty people give their lives to God tonight. The profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. And if you get that magazine regularly, you will know one of our top star columnists is, of course, Rend Collective's Chris Llewellyn. Well, I'm not joined by Chris. I'm joined by some other members of Rend Collective today. I'm delighted to say that on the call right now, joining me from uh, Nashville and Florida, they're in two separate places, but they're still on the call with me today, are Gareth and Ali Geikson from Rend Collective. Gareth and Ali have been... uh, songwriters uh, part of the band they've released books they've been on podcasts they've done all sorts of stuff and i'm delighted to be delving into all of that and more with them on the show today so gareth and ali welcome to the show thank hey. you so much yeah, thanks for having us. We, we are sep- we are separate places but we're very much still together <laughs> <laughs> thanks ali for that clarification that is very important to clarify absolutely <laughs> But if, if this isn't a 2021 interview, I don't know what is. We've got Gareth currently in an airport wearing a face mask. And yet here we are, thanks to the joys of Zoom. Um, we should start by um, asking you guys, what are you finding joy in right now? Joy is a massive theme for you as a band and everything you're about. And sometimes, especially in a pandemic, it can be f- it can be hard to find joy in, my, in many things. So what are you both currently taking joy in right now? It's been a, it's been a wonderful year for us to actually... Uh, be in the one place for a long time you know just being together as a family not being on the road we are we're on the road probably about 150 days a year and it can get very tiring we've got three small young children so it's been it's been really nice actually just to be able to to be at home together and uh, enjoy each other and do like normal like normal family things yes I would agree with that it's been a as much as it's been a, a difficult year in ways of not doing the normal routine, being consistent in the one place has been so different for us. There's almost been like this breath of fresh air, like this real rest that we, you didn't know you needed. And I've seen like the development of my kids' relationships really develop because you're like, well, these are your friends for the next year. This is who you've got. <laughs> and so um, seeing them grow and really get along together and, yeah, doing all, doing all those ordinary things. Never before was it, were my kids able to go to a birthday party because we were never in town or never in the right place at the right time. And so even in the past few weeks, it's been like, yes, yes, you can go to this birthday party. We are available. <laughs> I have to say, here in the UK, things haven't quite opened up yet. It sounds like things might be a bit more open in the USA where, where you're at. So tell me a little bit about what the regulations currently allow you to do and not do. Because for you as a band, touring is, is huge, right? I mean, that's like that's your livelihood. And presumably a lot yeah. of that has been, has been shut down. So are things beginning to open up now? They, 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 are, they aren't really opening up in terms of for shows. Uh, that's kind of something where we don't feel like we want to... Um, put anybody in harm's way so there are other there are other bands out playing concerts but we've just kind of made the made the deal that that's not something we want to be a part of for now and um we know that yeah touring is part of our livelihood but we also know that god takes care of us and we're not worried about the finances um that's 
that's kind of in terms of like a bigger picture in terms of a smaller picture thing which when we're talking to our family back at home in the uk and ireland um yeah things are very very locked down we would have the the ability and the privilege to go and you know go to a birthday party sometimes they're outside you know most of the time everybody's wearing masks um but even just to be together with people the last few months has been has been really brave yeah like our schools have been back on and things uh for quite some time i mean the kids all wear masks but they schools have been open which i know i am so grateful for and <laughs> uh, no, it's a huge deal and um yeah it's just been it's been it has been very different over here compared to the uk i would say so um, tell me a bit more about life in America, because um, as as of course, we all know already from the beautiful accents, uh, you're not from America originally. You moved over there and I, I'd love to chart some of the, the kind of success for you guys personally and for, and for Rain Collective, because if we rewind the clock a little bit back to, I guess, in 2007, all the way through to today, um, you've gone from a small band in Northern Ireland to now known all over the world selling quite literally millions of records and touring some huge stadiums um both in america and and internationally so really the progression for you guys and the change in life the change in lifestyles it must be very dramatic from from back in the days of northern Ireland now living in america so do you want to take us back to uh, the beginning and how it all began for you guys <laughs> i did it all began Ali. It all began, um, well, we started, yeah, we started in 2002, actually, as a, like, get-together for people in their 20s and 30s who seemed frazzled by uh, church. Um, at that stage, there was a big, sort of, huge movement towards, uh, like, program-based services were coming, maybe more entertainment-focused uh, rather than discipleship-focused. And we wondered why all our friends were leaving church at the age of, you know, 17, 18, 19. And we decided, well, we thought it was because they weren't obviously tasting real community. And like to follow Jesus is actually a, um, it, it's a cost, it costs you something. But if, if you if you give it out for free, you know, then it's, it's just treated lightly and it's not important. And uh, so we just started Rand, which was that sort of, get together for people in their 20s and 30s we met once a week uh in a gym at 9 p.m and just had an acoustic guitar a couple of lumps and we all sat on the floor and and then that grew you know more and more we started doing uh, evangelism in our in our town and then people started coming from all over the place and then it was probably six years later we thought we should probably write some music like we had just been playing you know tim hughes songs <laughs> and uh we're like, we all, I mean, we all played in a band that went round the bars uh, in Northern Ireland and played like secular music, our own songs that we had written. And we thought maybe we need to translate this and bring the two worlds together. Started doing that and playing places. And then, you know, the America thing opened up because Chris Tomlin emailed us, didn't he, Ali? Yeah, I think Martin Smith had given him a copy of Organic Family Hymnal. And we had just been, we just started praying about going to America and whether that was the right step. Um, probably the quickest answer to prayer anyone's ever gotten. About two weeks later, we get an email from Chris Tomlin wow. saying, hey, do you want to come on a national tour? Um, and so, yeah, that was that was really the, the door opening. And from going around and doing all of those things, you know, 
we got heavily involved in the passion movement. We were going to passion church was just setting up in Atlanta at the time. And we were there every week. So we would serve at the church, play shows with Chris during the week. And then, um, yeah, just kind of snowballed from there, really. Um, people started trying to, you know, we had to get a booking agent and manager and because people were wanting to, to book to book us to, to come and play at all these different events. So it felt like the next couple of years, as well as writing music, we were just, you know, we were touring so much and uh yeah just doing so many shows and I, I i remember the next few years just being in a state of exhaustion <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well we were sleeping on the floor like there was no glitz or glam about it we were sleeping on the floor of someone's house you know or we had van. Six, yeah or, or in a van we had 60 dollars a month as our pocket money was how much money you know and that was up until uh probably five five six years ago so how, um, does, how does that work? Because for the rest of us looking on, we're like, okay, we're hearing you guys on, on Christian radio. We're seeing you, you know, tens of thousands of followers on social media. You're getting all this airplay. You're, you're, you know, your singles are being downloaded time and time again. And yet you're living off $60 a month. How does, how does that work? Well, that was six years ago. Um, so you kind of, you kind of just had to pay your dues, you know, go out and all the money that we were making was going back into the machine of Rank Collective, you know, to try and build it, to pay for touring costs, to do all those sorts of things. Uh, one of the tours that we did in 2012, we actually had to pay a thousand dollars a night to be allowed on the stage, you know, because big, you know, it's business over here as much as everything else, which is obviously a thing that we don't hugely love and try to live in, in the in the way that we feel most comfortable with it all. But um, I, and also, you know, the music industry's changed. I think everybody at home thinks we're now, you know, millionaires. But uh, with with the arrival of Spotify and all of that, there, I would say music is becoming more of a blue collar job again. You know, it's it's it, you do it because you love it. You don't do it because it's the best way to make money. Yeah. There is many better ways to make money, uh, but that's not why we started doing it. We started doing it because we felt called, you know, to do what we do. And, you know, on that on that point, it's, it's I think it's becoming more well known now that music streaming does not generate the kind of money needed for a lot of people to survive. But of course, for a long time, touring was uh, was better, at least. But with the arrival of COVID, that creates massive problems for any band, including you guys who are, who are planning on touring. So what's that look like over the past year? You mentioned earlier, Gareth, that, um, you know, you believe that God is is going to provide for you and has provided for you. So how have you seen that for you guys as a couple in the past year with something unexpected in a global pandemic, presumably drastically altering um, how you guys are making a living? Yeah, I mean, it certainly has. I don't think there's been anything we have done this year that has actually generated enough money to sustain us. Um, but what, what we've seen is, as a band, we've kind of always lived uh, with, you know, like, what do they call it, the, the tight the purse strings. You know, the Northern Irish are like the Scottish and that. We like the, you know, defender, defender pennies. So we've always just taken a salary, no matter what the money has come in. So... Uh, that's kind of worked really worked to our advantage this year where we had money and savings from the business. Um, there's also, you know, grants from a couple of grants from the US government not, and uh, grants from the UK government. 
but nothing, nothing sustaining. So it's been, I don't know how it's all worked out. Royalties have come in at the right time. Um, and, you know, people have been generous to us as well and, and, and thoughtful towards us. Um, and, and that's been, that's been fantastic. We just started a Patreon recently. Um, we have 200 Patreon subscribers and they're just, you know, monthly people who, who give to the ministry basically. And that's a, a huge, a huge help and something for us. That I think we took us so long to realize we're not really a band. Like we are more of a ministry. Like we do things and the, the bottom line, the, the financial implications aren't the, the thing that drives it. Uh, you know, we went to, went to Australia last year and we're like, are we going to break even? I don't know, but we need to go to Australia and do what God called us to do. And uh, that, that kind of makes it more fun. I think there is an element of that. And that's something that the Patreon model has been really great for people just being able to get behind the ministry and, and support us in that. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about how you guys view this as a ministry and some of the stories from people who have encountered your music or just come across you personally and, and the impact, I suppose, that you as Ren Collective and you as individuals have had on people that for you means this is not about music per se. This is about ministry and, and really helping people. Yeah, I mean, we've come across people. That's one of the things I've missed most about touring, actually, is getting that face to face time with people and hearing how you've been part of their journey. Um, and in ways, you know, when you when you come and you write a song, you just never imagine the impact that it's going to have on, on people's lives. You know, for us, we're thinking about worship, we're thinking about church sometimes, but also like, like a simple song like My Lighthouse. You know, we've seen it being played in prisons in most primary schools across the UK. Uh, I think everyone's doing a mission week called My Lighthouse. <laughs> That's all the over this past year been able to do these zoom calls with certain fans that want to talk to us and just hearing how we've been a part of people's story whether they've been battling with health issues or marital issues or depression all of these things and to know that you're that you're you are involved in their lives and they they've been using a song that you've written from a different place to, to connect it's a uh, it's a, it's really really special, you know. It's it's a real moment of going. You you instantly have these connections with people worldwide of going. I can relate to that. I understand where you're coming from, and thank you for letting us be a part of your journey. Um, it's been yeah, it's been really impactful. I feel like even on my life, yeah. see, you know, a lot of the times when you feel like oh, it's, you know, the past year, like oh, what are we? You, know, I think everyone's done that. They've got what do I? What am I doing with my life? Was is this worthwhile? Like what is this? And then being able to get back to that point of hearing hearing people's stories is is pretty amazing. So we also, as a band, um, made the decision about two years ago that we would preach the gospel at all our concerts, which is not really something that a band does. You know, like you buy a ticket and you come for some worship, some entertainment, some sweat, you know, and uh, feel good, and then you go home and. 
that was a big a big deal for us that we just said you know this is this is something that we're passionate about and it's kind of old school you know preaching the gospel and uh so on our on our canadian tour which was just before covid so um in the autumn of two years ago now i'm trying to get the miles because yeah because 2020 2020 feels like it never happened um (laughs) But we, uh, we saw 1,500 people give their lives to Jesus on that tour, six-week tour, which, you know, is huge. Uh, to be able to have that impact, not just from the music, but, you know, I, I would get up there and preach. Uh, and that feeling of being able to walk off stage and going, well, maybe the concert was okay, but wasn't that awesome? 40 people give their lives to God tonight. And we're like, yeah. That's, that's something really special. We've just been trying to hone in on that side of our ministry as well. We've, we've always felt like we're more a worship band for people who don't go to church than we are a worship band for people who love church. Um, and, you know, a couple of, another great example of that was whenever we were in uh, uh, Shepherd's Bush in London playing and uh, a girl behind the bar, just one of the bar staff broke down in tears and, you know, God met her there and then and then one of our friends actually went over and started speaking to her and she gave her life to God and mm-hmm. just a really cool moment you know uh, where you can see the impact of what you do actually you know in a touring capacity as well yeah it's always struck me I have to say I've, I've followed your your uh, career from the beginning it's always struck me that there is more to you guys as people than just the music and uh, right. I don't mean that um I don't mean that to disparage other bands, but I've met other mm-hmm. I've met other musicians and bands, and the music's great. But you know, you don't go to them for for you know anything anything more than that. Whereas for you right. guys, there there's always been something more. Whether it's preaching the gospel at your events, or even I just think what technology allows you to do now. You've just launched a new podcast. Where's the joy in that? Your social media feeds are very active, and yeah, it's fun, and yeah, it's about the music, but it is deeper than that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, that's you want something. I, I think music isn't enough for any of us. <laughs> we all like to feel like we're called to do something. When we started, we always said we were musicianaries, you know, which is missionaries and musicians together kind of at once. And that's kind of been our heartbeat. And trying to, you know, there's times we've veered off that, times we've forgotten that. Um, and just trying to come back to that centered reason why we started what we do was to actually be a, a dynamic force for change, and for people who feel like they're the outsiders to know that there is a place um, uh, in the gospel. Yeah. Uh, Ali, question for you. Um, I'm aware the music world and to a certain extent, the Christian world can be quite male dominated. I don't know if you would agree right. with that, um, <laughs> if you've had any experiences of that and if you have any <laughs> thoughts on that for, for yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I remember I have done so many tours where I've either been the only girl on stage for the entire evening or, I mean, I've toured on tour buses full of men for the past 10 years. You know, it's, it's that must definitely be a smelly experience. It's a very smelly experience. <laughs> um, and I would say for me, when I was sort of starting into the, the worship world, what I normally saw growing up in church was like if women were on stage, they were singing in the background or maybe even singing, but they it was very, it was quite static. And for me, what I really wanted to bring to the worship world was not to be afraid to express yourself in a, 
maybe some strange ways. And when we were hearing, you know, I was picking up random instruments like playing trash cans and, you know, ukuleles and accordions. And I remember people like, what? what is this random girl doing <laughs> this Irish woman doing <laughs> just keeps picking up random things um but for me it was it was like let's bring that joy to worship you know let's not you know worship doesn't have to be this serious expression it can you can sing with a smile on your face you can dance you can move um yeah just take that freedom and for me I felt like that was a part of what I wanted to bring to the worship world of like don't be afraid to your way don't have to be ecstatic in the background you, can, you know I when we lead worship I'm like everyone on the stage is leading worship it's not just Chris it's not just front and so for me it's been so important to try and connect with as many people in the audience or the congregation as I can and bring them on this journey. Um, and that can be quite daunting. Are there up there? And you know, there's a lot of things to think about, um, whether it's been what you're wearing or how you, you know, how you move. But, I mean, I've, I've noticed ever since we started that I can now see like all these other women rising up and they're like, yes, go for it. You know, wow. you know, it's been great. It's been good. That's amazing. I, I suppose there's, a, there's an interesting tension there on the, on the one hand, you, you want to be a role model, don't you? For, for younger women coming up, but you, you almost don't want the pressure of that either to you. And you're just yourself. Yeah. Well, that, I think there's a balance in that. And you know, if you're like, you need, it's important to like push those limits a little bit and show people not to be afraid, to, you know, and I, I remember like Gareth handing me all oh, like we're gonna play hand symbols tonight. I'm like, girl, don't play hand symbols on stage. What, what do you want me to do with that? And he was like, I don't know, make it look good. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think, and I get so many comments and so many young women coming up to me and being like, thank you. You know, you've really shown me that I don't need to hold back. That you know, I can be a girl drummer or I can be a, you know a girl playing the guitar or whatever it is. I don't just have to be having a microphone and a keyboard. Holier than thou. Radical. Delusional. Ignorant. Perfect. It's time to challenge stereotypes about Christians and Premier Christianity is leading the way. Transform your perceptions, broaden your horizons, open your mind to wide ranging views. Read interviews with politicians, theologians, and TV presenters. Discover the breadth of the Christian spectrum. Be provoked, react, inspired, and informed. Get the print magazine and full online access for just £4.95 a month. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. Premier Christianity magazine. The bigger picture. Um, I was reading about your song, um, one of um, one of your songs, Counting Every Blessing, and you said... Um, as a band, it emerged out of a time of, of kind of downheartedness, actually, collectively as a band. I wanted to ask you specifically, what what was it that had, had got you down? Um, because the message of the song is very powerful, that there's always something to be thankful for. And I think that's a message that's really resonated with people, again, through COVID and the pandemic, that, that even in very dark times, you've, you've always got blessings to count. But what was it for you that had brought you to that low point? And how did the song emerge out of that? <laughs> It's it's interesting because uh, I think what had happened before that was we had uh, just brought out the Art of Celebration and that record had gone huge for us worldwide. Um, 
and then we had signed a new record deal with with uh, a different label and they had kind of um, wanted us to bring out another record uh, quite quickly. And Ali had said, I don't know why you're bringing out another record. This is stupid. <laughs> you know, this other one's still selling, you know, thousands a week. Why would you be doing this? Uh, and I guess we listened to executives over our wives, which is always a mistake. Um, <laughs> and uh, the next record was, was a complete, well, not a complete flop, but a bit of a flop in comparison. And I, I, I remember all of us just feeling really downbeat. We had this, you know, euphoric sense of we're climbing, we're climbing, we're going high, we're going to take over the world. And then that sense of experiencing that that flop and that sort of, you know, and now you realize a little bit of experience. The, the music industry and all of that has its ups and downs. You know, you'll not hear from Carrie Job for six years and then she'll bring out the blessing and then it's the biggest song ever. And then you'll not hear from Carrie Job for six years. And that, you know, that's, that's kind of just the way it goes. Um, but uh, uh, me, especially, I was totally gutted. I felt like I had let the team down and I'd let God down and all of those things. And um, looking around at the success of other people, you know, which is always a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. It's kind of why social media is the worst because it's most of the time, hey, look at how much better my life is than yours. <laughs> you know, um, a friend said to me, comparison is the thief of joy. And that kind of just really hit and resonated with me in a way that uh, I don't, uh, I don't think I'd really thought about it to the depths that I had. I mean, that's a, it's an easy phrase to say, but I tried to go on the journey of it and try to really listen to God on it. And the idea of counting every blessing came, came out of that moment. Um, I started writing on the song, Chris and I started working on it. And um, I, think, I think when we had finished it, we had just realized we have literally so much to be thankful for. And both of us, uh, Chris would say himself as well, you know, even over the last year, the idea of gratitude um, and keeping a note of gratitude is, is huge. It's so good for your mental health. It's so good for your, your spiritual health. Uh, um, it, when you realize that God has given us enough, and if we didn't have one more thing, we would still have enough. Um, is, is a really great place to get to. And, and also, uh, for my personality type, it's a great place to strive for more out of. I always want to do better. I always want to succeed more. I always want to accomplish more. But I, I want to do that out of a place of rest and knowing that I have everything I need rather than a place of, like, fight. Um, oh, oh, I think that's the much healthier place to be in. a bit about family life for you guys um because um you started fairly recently uh, ren collective kids 
And uh, again, nothing but respect for you both. I've never quite understood how it works with touring and having children and uh, babies. I just think, wow, how are those guys doing it? So give us a glimpse into what family life looks like for you and also where this element of ministry is so important for you as a band. It's not just a band, but it's a it's a ministry and it's um, uh, going into that whole world, I suppose, of kids worship. Life with kids on the road is definitely busy and chaotic and um you have to let a lot of things go <laughs> you know like sleep routines and you know bathing <laughs> lawn you know um but it, it it has been amazing it's it's one of those things it's quite unique I don't really know anyone else who's done it like we've done it and from the very beginning we were like one in all in um we're very much people of you know, you don't stop your ministry to have kids. You just bring your kids along as much as you can. And that's what we've done. And it's been incredible. Like, I I mean, our kids are just, our, Arthur asks all the time, he's our seven-year-old, when are we going back on the bus? When are we going back on tour? They very much lived in community their whole lives and have really thrived on it. And also they, they've got to see what God has done around the nations and how God's moving in people's lives and they've seen it up close and personal, you know, and that's something you just can't, you can't really get any, you know, I'm just so grateful for it. I think, and as hard as it's been and there's been lack of sleep and there's been, you know, all the logistics of flying internationally with kids four times a year is like, Ooh, everyone's always jet lagged somewhere. Um, but it has been, it's been really incredible. And so, you know, when you're, when you're with your kids all the time, I would say I'm a full-time mom, but I'm also full-time in ministry and it's, it's all go. And people often ask me about balance and I'm like, there's just, there's not balance for, for me. I don't concentrate on trying to split my time and trying to be like a mom here and a minister here and whatever else it's, it's all in one, it's all encompassing. And I do think the moment that you try and get those two things to battle and to pull in opposite directions you're you're in a losing match and so you have to make sure you're always pulling in the same way that your ministry and your marriage and your family life are all on the same side of Jesus you know um so that's been really really important and then a few years ago I mean we were in the point where like if I have to listen to the greatest showman or baby shark one more time (laughs) I'm gonna lose my mind and um you know, I'm Gareth and I are both really passionate about hanging out with our kids and we would have dance parties on the bus before a show and and all of these things. And yeah, we just thought it was time to write some fun kids work. And uh, it was great because where you have maybe all these limitations in writing regular worship music. You can just do whatever the heck you want with kids music. <laughs> we can change time signatures. We can put random lyrics in. We can put pandas in this song. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and so it turned out to be a really fun project. And we wanted it to be all encompassing of like, let's not just give kids songs to listen to, but let's give them content to watch. You know, we all know how kids love watching screens and YouTube and all of that things. But we wanted to get some positive things that the whole family could enjoy it's we basically wanted to be the pixar of of christian <laughs> uh, kids work of going the parents are going to enjoy this the kids are going to enjoy this and everyone can have fun together
It was, it's been, it's been really great. And uh, then we wrote the, the book to go along with My Lifehouse as well. And that was such a fun project. Um, I, I worked on that with Natasha Debnam from the UK. She's a fabulous artist. And yeah, I just, I loved it. It's still one of my favorite books to read to my kids, <laughs> as embarrassing as that sounds. And I always look over and they're sitting flicking through the pages and you're wow. like, oh gosh. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really great. Yeah. I was going to ask when you, when you wrote my lighthouse, the song, when the song was put out, did you have an inkling at the time this might resonate with kids? Cause as you pointed out, this has since been sort of sung in schools all over the, all over the country here in the UK. And, um, it, you know, in hindsight, I guess, I, Oh yeah, that does translate quite well as a kid's song, but at the time of putting it out, did you have any inkling? None whatsoever. Nope. <laughs> Turns out, Turns out that us trying to be the most deep and uh, meaningful that we can be uh, seems to be resonate with children more than anybody else. So there you go. <laughs> it, was, it was only until after we brought out the song and we were traveling around all these churches. I was like, there's lighthouses in all of these buildings. <laughs> there's pictures of lighthouses. There's rugs of lighthouses. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, is... I would go as far as to say the lighthouse is the biggest secular um, imaging in the christian church you know it's huge i guess that's why the song resonated um who would have known that that was the case we just saw them all at our house and wrote a song about it yes (laughs) (laughs) amazing um and that song has since gone platinum which is a massive achievement um where were you when you got the call or the email telling you that had happened and what was your reaction Gosh, I can't even remember where, where we were, but I remember Adrian Thompson uh, from Integrity calling us and saying, well, boys, we broke platinum. It was a couple of years ago now. <clears throat> um, and we were like, what? And speaking to, you know, speaking to some of my American band friends and, you know, they've had number ones at radio and things like that. And uh, I'm like, surely you guys have one of these on your wall. And they're like, nope. Never, uh-huh. so, never sold, you know, a million copies of a song. You're like, whoa. That's, I guess I didn't realize it was such a big deal. So certainly, uh, certainly um, very encouraging. I wanted to talk a little bit about Christian unity, of all things. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, this is a bit of a scale. On the one hand, I think fantastic. Yes, me more unity. And I'm very upbeat about it. And then the other part of me just loads up social media. And I think, oh dear, we've got some way to go, haven't we? Um, now, you guys, uh, I've I also noticed in the in the Christian world, when you become well known, the trolls descend, um, and you guys must have had some experience of this. Um, uh, this is an interesting one for you, though, because you do cross denominations when you play gigs and when you put music out. You've got people from across the different denominations and Christian backgrounds listening to you and enjoying your music. And yet at the same time online, it can seem like Christians are very divided. So how do you square that? Yeah, I, I think we certainly are delighted that we aren't affiliated with a specific church. Um, and at certain times I thought that was a negative you know everybody talks about being under a covering and being part of a uh, and it's not that we're not as individuals part of a covering or part of a church but the fact that we have the ability to play you know we played from Billy Graham uh, organization who we've got a lot lot of trouble with for playing with to then playing for uh, the Pope in Ireland we've got a lot of trouble for that um, we played for, you know, Hillsong out in Australia, 
Uh, we play for the mega churches in the US and we've gotten trouble for playing with most of them from somebody. Because uh, there's always something negative to say about everyone. But that's not what we do is the reason why we do things. Uh, I think that's been, it's been a privilege to be part of the body of Christ and not like the arm of Christ or the foot of Christ. Um, and certainly, you know, coming from Northern Ireland, uh, unity is a huge, huge deal. We know what a fractured community is. We know what it is when you build walls, not bridges. We have literal peace walls in Belfast, keeping Protestants and Catholics separate. Um, and when you really break it all down, aren't we just the same people, you know, trying to love the same God? And we've all got different angles on who he is and we can learn from each other. Um, one of my biggest problems with like short form social media, which is why I'm not really a big Instagrammer, uh, is, sorry, there's my, there's my plane being shouted at. I've got to move. Um, one, of the, one of the things is that you can only talk about something in short sentences. And uh, sometimes a dialogue really is important. That's, I really enjoy, we've started that podcast we're, at, we're actually just about to bring out an episode called The Joy of Politics, which you can imagine is going to be very fun. Uh, but the, the long form of conversation of actually, um, I've noticed that when people argue online, if they were sitting across the table and they had a cup of tea in their hands and they were sharing some cake, they'd probably be the best of friends. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that the tribalism and the... Um, getting into your own wee clubs and groups and opinions is a huge issue. It's certainly uh, the reason why the prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago hasn't been answered. It's because we love, we love being in a place of safety with people we trust, don't we? Rather than being in a place where someone might disagree with us, where someone might challenge us, or uh, and, uh, dialogue is really the only way to go about it. Yeah. Now, now, Gareth, I don't want to be the journalist responsible for you missing your flight and not getting back to your <laughs> wife. And oh, I'm good. You are, you are currently at an airport waiting for a plane. So if at any point you disappear, <laughs> please feel <laughs> free. <laughs> I will dash like that. I will dash like a young gazelle towards the gate. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you, maybe, maybe Ali wants to take this one, but I do want to ask you that um, uh, about what it was like to play for the Pope of all people um not yes. many not many protestant bands get to play for the pope as i understand it um so tell no. me a bit about that experience it was very very unique uh, quite overwhelming as well you know being in um just outside dublin and you you would you would see him driving past in his wee golf cart you know you're like oh there's the pope <laughs> there he is it's not a there golf cart alley it's the pope mobile the pope mobile <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it was a really special time you know obviously we got a lot of flack for it but like we really do believe in unity we believe about build, building bridges and so um it was a really unique opportunity to play our songs the songs that we've written like build your kingdom here at a real pivotal time for ireland um with the pope being there so it was uh yeah, it was just really, it was really special. I mean, it was really raining, raining the whole time. But uh, <laughs> of course, we're all outside because I'm really believing for it. But it was, um, yeah, 
I would just say it was a very unique, it, it did feel quite heavy. Um, spiritually, it felt like a, a heaviness on it. But, you know, I just really believe God was in that moment and breaking some, breaking some things through. And um, yeah, really, really encouraging. You know, it was just incredible moment so in what way in what way did it feel heavy i think just from the history with ireland and catholicism of what everyone was bringing to that moment um obviously with all like the scandals that have been coming out and then they were expecting the turnout to be millions and then it you know it wasn't as much because because of all that i felt like people were coming very burdened and very heavy either with disappointments and hurt and let down and um they were looking for for answers i feel like but uh so it was a real unique experience to be involved in and i do feel i do feel like we were at the right place at the right time you know one of those moments we were like i don't understand why we're the only protestant band in the history probably of, of ireland to be playing for the pope but I felt it just felt as soon as we hit the stage, I was like, this is where we're meant to be at this moment. God's wanting to do something in the, in this nation. And um, yeah, very, very special. Yeah. You, you both mentioned how you've had uh, criticism for playing, whether it's playing at Hillsong or for the Pope. Um, how do you handle that on a personal level? Because I imagine there's quite a big difference between people you've never met just commenting on a post that kind of criticism, I imagine, is quite different to a, a you know maybe a friend phoning you up and saying not sure about this. What what does the criticism look like, and how have you how have you dealt with it? Yeah, gosh, I'm I'm a real people pleaser. I kind of want everybody to get along. I don't want mommy and daddy to stop fighting. So <laughs> uh, it, it does hit me hard. I, I also try to. I don't want to offend anybody, and I always think, oh, there's such a good conversation to have with you about this. But there's, you know, you don't have time for that with everybody. And uh, that's a huge, that's a huge thing that bothers me is I wish that I wish I lie in bed thinking, oh, I wish I could have talked about that more or I wish that person could have understood, you know, where I was coming from uh, or why we did that. Like, why did we play for the Pope? Uh, you know, the Billy Graham organization was another one where there was huge, huge media issues in the UK because we were doing it. And all we wanted to say was, well, the gospel's for everybody. And, and we're meant to, you know, I know what's not playing would make a statement, but you know what? Us actually playing also makes a statement. And uh, it's complicated. <laughs> I, 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 wish, I wish I could just have more time with people to explain why you do certain things, but you don't always get that chance in what we do. Yeah, and I imagine, especially on social media, like you say, it's it's very quick, um, and there's not those opportunities to sit down and have longer, longer conversations with people. And I suppose that is that is part of the problem, isn't it? That we're not yeah, we're not I, always good at listening to each other. Well, I was just I was just going to say, I also feel like often the times that people want to criticise you on social media, they don't want a discussion. They just want to say what they want to say, and then they want to leave it. It's yes. not that we don't want to have the discussion, <laughs> discussion a lot of the time. We're like, oh, you just want to make a statement and yes. be negative. And that's that's what you want to do. I can relate to that so much. As someone who publishes 2,000 word articles and puts them on Facebook and someone reads the headline and makes a comment, not based on the 2,000 words, just the headline. I right. can relate to that. Yeah. You're like, yeah, come I, on. 
yeah, I would say you get you might get this even more than we do, Sam. So. <laughs> well i think we can have a fascinating chat about that but that's probably a separate podcast for a whole nother day um thank you both so much for being my guest on the show today i have so enjoyed catching up with you both and all that you are involved in before we go um any hopes and plans for the future what can we expect from you guys and from ren collective going forward well we are praying that we'll be able to do our shows in the uk in november and we're praying that those are going to be amazing. It's going to be like an end of pandemic celebration. Yeah. That's our hopes. Um, things, of course, seem to be going really well. We're also uh, praying that we will get home to our families in Northern Ireland. It's been a long time. And we really spend about one third of our lives in Northern Ireland, as much as we say, you know, we've moved to America. We probably tour in America about one third and then have one third off in America and then you know, one third in, in, in Northern Ireland. So we are can't wait to get home and see our mums. <laughs> Definitely. Well, we can't wait to have you back. And when you come and play London, I will be there on the front row. And uh, yes, you will. To look forward to partying with you all. But yeah, for now, yeah. Uh, Gareth and Ali, thanks so much for joining us. Thank yeah, you, Sam. Thank you, sir. Such a pleasure. I'm Sam Howes and you have been listening to The Profile Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. There's loads more where that one came from. Over 200 interviews with different Christians from all walks of life available now on The Profile Podcast and new ones coming each and every week. If you have been enjoying these interviews, we would so appreciate it if you could take just five seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people to discover the show. So why not do that now? Give us a rating and a review and we'll see you next time.